I'm hitting record without holy crap again without a test run. Living on the edge. Without a test or without much prep, we're just doing it. One, two, three, go. Oh, it's a short. <laughs> uh oh, he's chomping. Uh, hold on. Now I'm not like I'm chomping. <laughs> uh, 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 okay, I'm here. You ready? <laughs> I'm Ryan. Thank you for coming to my party, McKenna. And I'm Harland Dad Legend Grant. <laughs> What's Dad Legend? It's a term from Hearthstone, uh, which is this oh. online game that I enjoy playing sometimes. Uh, it has a ranking system. The top of the ranking system is called Legend. It's a, a, num- a numerical system. Starts 25, goes whatever. And you try to climb up from 25 down, 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 until you get Legend. The way that it works, if you get to number 5, that's kind of a break point where it's hard to get past that or something. So they call that dad legend because all the dads that are too busy taking care of their kids to make it all the way rank five is also referred to as dad legend interesting for all of you who gave a shit about hearing that yeah i I care and we're the doddlers (laughs) (laughs) and this is the doddlers philosophy podcast george I know, I was like, huh, jorts, huh? Jordy. Jordy Jordy LaForge. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I want to watch me some of that shit again and again. Not all the episodes, but a lot of them. Uh, some you just need to see once. It'll cheer you up. Uh, pull you out of your depression. <laughs> watching such a positive show with uplifting messages as TNG. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Now, what's my take on depression, you ask? Yeah, that's what I said. That's what you said. Now, by the way, folks, that's the topic. It's not the intellectual dark web today. I'm sorry. You'll have to come Everyone's back. Everyone's going to be disappointed. Next week. No. <laughs> no. Uh, they, they, may, they depress me. Sorry. Speech ain't free. Oh. What? <clears throat> what was the phrase? Yeah. Free speech isn't free. Nothing's free. There's no free lunch. There ain't no such thing as a free Jordan Peterson ticket. <laughs> yeah, no. But I think the whole free speech thing, I want to do free lunch. I want that to be my thing. I'll be like, free lunch, free lunch. That's a... Uh, anyway. A, what do you call it? A, uh, that I can get behind. A chant? Cause. A saying? A, a cause. I'm like... Holy crap. This will be a short, short, I have a feeling. Okay. Well, okay. My take on depression. We're so depressed right now in the way that we should have have practiced this and been like, you know. Instead, we have not. I'm always practicing my Eeyore. I do it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Just don't watch that movie. Thanks for listening to me. Looks like fun. Wish I could have some. Okay. So there my take is this. Eh, whatever. I kinda I understand when it comes to depression. 
that you could say that there's like, and I don't know, maybe you could say this about everything. I don't fucking know. There's many levels of analysis one could perform in trying to understand what's going on with this thing we call depression, molecular, cellular organs could have a role to play. You could analyze it with respect to that. Uh, obviously psychological and behavioral, maybe you could even say social. There could be a level of analysis from the social, but I think it, it, we tend to think of depression at the sort of, I think the behavioral level. Sometimes we talk about it at the other levels, but for the most part, I think we tend to think of ourselves as sort of individual organisms and dealing with various problems in the world in our lives. And depending on what level you're at, sometimes you want to say, well, there's just a chemical imbalance and it's just, you know, maybe you want to say it's somehow genetically determined or something. Sometimes you want to say it's, you know, because I live in a war-torn country and everything sucks, you know, or sometimes it's because you live in an environment that's not very stimulating. And so, you, you know, whatever. There could be lots of reasons. My thinking with depression, and I guess it just has to be sort of personal because I'm not, it's not my area of expertise and I don't have much else to say about it, but I guess my route to depression is via anxiety. So I guess my personal definition of depression, when I think of it and I'm thinking about myself in those terms, in that frame, is that depression is like exhaustion from fear, you know, from just the the experience of fear if it just if i'm feeling afraid for too long i lose energy that i'm devoting to the anxiety or whatever it is and then i just like it's like you just it's the default setting after you've run out of gas you know you burn it all up on fear and now you're just sort of wafting in the sort of pointlessness and inevitable end of it all you know that kind of thing and you just don't have any energy or you don't know how to cycle back through to get yourself into position to feel more worry about whatever anymore. You're just done. So that's kind of my, that's my take. I always like the point about there's mo- many levels of analysis. I think that's true of everything. <laughs> and I also come at this mostly from a personal level of analysis because in part I haven't really attempted to study it academically other than motivated by personal experience and feeling in a way that I've been trained by my society to label as depressed and then well okay I guess I'll go type into YouTube give me talks about depression and try to listen to what people say about it so coming My take is going to include, as it often does, I don't know what depression is or if it exists, but before you throw your headphones across the room, this is not coming from a place of like Scientology style denying mental illness, though I might do that. It's coming (laughs) from the guy who doesn't believe in tables and beer bottles either, doesn't believe in consciousness or minds either. So, I don't really know how to rank in my nihilistic scale of ontological denialism where I feel about depression. Because it's not not really saying the same thing as I don't believe in beer bottles, 
but I don't want to be saying the same thing as Jenny McCarthy is saying about autism. I don't really know. It's somewhere in between. I don't know what it is. I, from my state, mixed state of ignorance and attempting to be moderately informed, have the opinion that we are still in the dark ages of psychological, psychiatric medicine. I don't get the impression that the professionals have this all figured out even on their own yet, though some probably think they do. I don't know. I feel depressed a lot, and I've been diagnosed by a professional as having depression, but I still also don't really know what that means or put very much stock in it. The way I would describe it in the in an analogous way to you were describing it as exhaustion from fear, I would just describe it as nothing sounds appealing. When I say I'm feeling depressed, it's usually that. Motivation is absent, and when considering engaging in a task of any sort, even something that I would otherwise find quite enjoyable, I just kind of say, no thanks, nope, I would prefer not to, as Zizek says. Depression (laughs) is I would prefer not to, universally applied. But would you like to do your favorite thing? Would you like to go to your favorite place or imbibe your favorite beverage? Uh, I mean, not, no, just nothing sounds appealing. Do you think that's what others mean by depression or in the vicinity? I think so. I think it definitely, I'm, and I've experienced that in an extreme way, um, but I don't think it was uh, fear-based. No. I think it was a virus that, that was having an effect on me at one time. But um, Right, where that comes yeah, from. Yeah, I think, yeah, sadness, hopelessness, those are all things that, you know, you don't have interest in activities i'm 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 literally reading like from dsm5 i wouldn't (laughs) personally i wouldn't describe it as sadness because i feel very acute sadness very often and i know what the physiological responses are and i'm very familiar with it but to me depression is quite different for me what i call sadness is usually a short episode accompanied by some tears and some whatever, but then it fades quite quickly and I'm ready to do things and things sound appealing within an hour. But when I feel what I would describe as depressed, there isn't any obvious physiological symptom detectable by me. Maybe the fMRI machine could see it. And it's much longer lasting than sadness typically is for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think it's just... Yeah, I mean, it, it, as they say, it's, you know, it's persistent feelings, and it looks like it can be sadness, hopelessness. I, that was kind of what I think I was just describing about after anxiety. comes this, like, hopelessness, like, blah. I think I feel hopeless all the time, depressed or not. <laughs> <laughs> the lack of interest, you know, I mean, it's to me, these things come and go. There some days are better than others, you know, or maybe I could say some days are worse than others. I don't know. Though, yeah, and then of course the symptoms though got to be kind of present for at least two weeks, is what their diagnostic criteria is. 
that's for major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. Then there's bipolar, which is used to be called manic depression or whatever. And that's one where you kind of change, you know, you're, 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 you're down low, like in the normal sort of seeming major depressive type disorder. And then you have these short bursts of intense, like over the top activity. And everybody's like, Jesus, you know, Bob, you know, why, why are you crazy today? You know, you know, and you more or less burn out and then you back to the depression or whatever, but they're all, you know, mood disorders and stuff. Uh, as far as treatment is concerned, yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of treatments that people use. I um, have a little bit of experience just in terms of the research end with this type of stuff. I worked with a guy who was a psych- psychiatrist, and he kind of wrote a. So he was a he used to be a um, FDA, I guess, medical review person. You know, they'll be you know a a, a drug company will want to get approval to sell their drug on the market in, say, a country like the United States. And in order to do that, they have to get uh, approved by the FDA by showing that their drugs are efficacious, that they that they work better than nothing, which is usually a placebo, which is the control arm of a clinical trial. What they typically do is is, you know, at the FDA is they do their own separate statistical analysis, you know, and then there's a write-up by the medical team. And then also usually there's a, there's chemists and physiologists, people, a whole bunch of other people that are involved and they have to write up their own reviews on each kind of specialized part that they uh, are coming from their background. If I think all you need is two positive trials, for a drug like a you know antidepressant or something like that, and then and positive in this case is statistically significant. Um, of course, p values and statistical significance has come under the gun quite a bit over the years, and also the ways in which these trials are analyzed has changed just to a degree. And so for a while there, there was like a difference, like the FDA was not going to do the analysis in a particular way. And the drug companies were trying to force everybody to do their form of analysis. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. But one question that I have about that, and one of the reasons that motivates my skepticism, is that what are what is being measured to establish these p-values, or how do you call it, successful? Is it more than either personal testimonial reports, I feel better, or observations of overt volitional behavior. Like, oh, okay, well, I did more things than I did last week. Right? Because those two things, when you obviously reports, I have very low trust in. And then even if we're measuring how people behave, I don't think we know enough about the etiology of behaviors to pin down... You know, I'm just saying depression seems different than having the flu. Yeah, it is. Although when you have the flu, you feel like probably worse some than you do when you're depressed. I mean, I've had the flu a couple of times and man, was that terrible. Yeah. And I would say that, yeah, I mean, the, the it's report based. The biggest problem with these trials actually, though, is the dropouts, I think. Um, getting people to stay taking the drug over time because there's a lot of adverse events that are reported 
have to tally all those. Hopefully no one dies. If someone dies, it's over, you know? Yeah, people do, like, I don't know what you did to get diagnosed by a doctor or whatever, but typically they have you fill out some kind of form. That form you fill out and then they score. It's, you know, sort of qualitative in a way. And they score your depression level, and if you're a certain way down the line in your numbers that you've, you know, based on the questions, your answers to the questions or whatever, then they indicate whether or not you are truly depressed. Or I don't know if there's, there's probably physiological characterizations that they match it up with. I don't know if they've done that every time. Uh, they might. And I and honestly, that's a good question. I know that the basis, though, for the actual analyses that happen later when you're talking about p-values is going to be based on the reports and so you have the reports for a i don't know six to eight week trial and so you're supposed to take the drug every day or whatever the dosage is and whatever the you know if it's per day or you know two times a day anyway and you do that for the entire duration of the trial and at each week you report you fill out the form and you, you know, hopefully fill out the form honestly. And for a lot of people, sometimes they really do want to get better and they're hoping this is the break. So maybe they are being honest or, you know, who knows? There's a lot of psychology in these kinds of tests too, because like placebo, the whole point is that people sometimes there's the placebo effect, you know, and all that kind of stuff. The other thing though, is that even still, like besides what you're talking about, there's still a lot of insignificant results nonetheless from the trials that are run and then the companies feel so not great about it that they'll cover it up or they'll lie about the significant levels or they'll find some sliver because usually when trials are done they have to say what their primary outcome is going to be that they you know in their protocol that they put out there the fda is going to be like okay well we'll approve based on what you say your primary is like we approve or disapprove dis prove it or just not approve it or whatever and so if you say it's this thing that you want like for instance fluoride in the united states is approved for pain i think in the gums not for the strengthening of teeth or anything that would be you could list that as like a secondary outcome so imagine then a company's like yeah you know even though this trial didn't show that the pain was relieved by the fluoride rinse or whatever. It still strengthens the, the teeth, and that was significant, you know, or whatever. So they do the secondary. They'll take secondary outcomes and, and, and put those out there and say they were great. But sometimes they just say, no, the trial was for the primary outcome is awesome. And then when you look at the FDA and their analysis of the same data, it's not. It's totally not significant, you know, statistically. Or if it's not significant at all, they just put it in a file drawer and they don't even report it. It's just not published and no one ever finds mm -hmm. out. <laughs> so in some ways, even though we can be like, ah, these reports that people write and all that kind of stuff, sometimes it still comes out negative, you know, like the thing didn't beat placebo or whatever. Uh, and sometimes also they'll put an active comparator, something that's already on the market that was apparently approved. They'll compare it against that. And if it, and if that also in the trial does not beat placebo, they'll then give themselves a break and call it a failed study, which is there must have been something wrong with them, you know, like rather than just because they wouldn't want to acknowledge that it wasn't positive um, by saying it was negative. So, well, that's depressing. Um, Are we having an, <laughs> so anyway, a, 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 a yeah. depression epidemic?
in America, early 21st century? I think we're having, uh, as we've been, we were talking beforehand, it sounds like there's a sleep de- deprivation epidemic, but, uh, and you know, it's that fast track to being depressed is to not be able to sleep. Mm. And that usually is probably anxiety. See my little twist there? It's like, oh my God, why is my mind racing? I can't get to sleep. I have all this shit to do the next day. I'm not getting, and then you don't, you're fucking exhausted and you've got a short temper. And before you know it, like you're through that cycle a couple of times and you're like, you just want to like, everything's hopeless. And if there's one <laughs> takeaway message from the Dawdler's philosophy over our entire existence, it's been, it's all hopeless. Don't bother. No. What? Or is that just half? Maybe that's half of the Dawdler's. The other half's message is laugh into the abyss. Yeah, that's the other one. <laughs> I was gonna say, life is meaningless. Have a laugh. You in style someday. Old dream maker. You heartbreaker. Wherever you're going, I'm going your way. the world there's such a lot of Very friend, oh, river.